Hey guys, thanks for swinging by our podcast today. We hope this message leaves you encouraged and filled with hope and that Christ and His goodness is meeting your every need. It's good to see my friends from Louisville First Church. And it's good to have this family here that's heard me on IHOP. And you guys back there, too. Look at that. All those people heard me on IHOP. And that's why they're here. So I love that. We're, I was talking to Mike Bickle this week and talking about how we could form an alliance. And I'm pretty excited. I, 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 we're going we're gonna to see revival sweep the globe. And it's going to cost us our lives. But if we've already given up our life to him, then who cares? Isn't that right? Hmm. Last night I talked about faith, and um, I tried to give my best definition of faith, and I tried to describe it as the two that's between the glories, because we're only transformed by being transformed from glory to glory, and we live between the glories, and usually the two is the things you don't want to go through. Usually the two lasts longer than you want it to last. Usually the two is more painful than you want to bear. Usually the two is more costly than we originally thought. But if God is our Father, and He really does want what's best for us, then everything He allows us to go through is working a greater glory. Would you guys agree with that? You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that we don't look at the things that are seen because they're temporary. But we look at the things that are unseen because they're eternal. And then he has this audacious statement because these light and momentary afflictions. Now he, he, he calls things light and momentary afflictions. You guys know what happened to Paul? Five times he was scourged, 39 lashes. Three times he was rotted, where they tried to cripple him and hobble and break every bone in his legs. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was snake-bitten. He was left for dead. He spent nights in the open cold. He, he, He ran from beasts and wild people. And he says, these light and momentary afflictions. He wrote half of his letters in prison. How do you get a guy like that down? Every time you get him locked up or beat him or scourge him, he writes another book of the New Testament. These light and momentary afflictions are producing in us the glory that we'll live in forever. You want a good glory to live in? Don't gripe about what you're going through. Rejoice in it. That's what's producing the glory. Think about that. That's what's producing the glory. You know, when I was growing up, I was always told, you know, I would go to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, or I'd go to all, you know, the Campus Crusade. I'd go to everything that was Christian, you know, because I loved to be around. And they would say, "If if you give your life to Jesus, everything will work out good. Everything will be good. But they never told me how long it would take. Come on. It will work out good. 
But it's a long time before you see how some things are good. Come on, are you with me? And it's not a popular message to tell people that you're going to suffer. But Paul said, I want to share in the glory, but I'm willing to share in the sufferings. And it seems like Western culture Christianity just wants the glory without the fellowship of the sufferings. We have to have it in perfect balance. Are you guys with me? And so I'm going to talk more about faith tonight. Can we go deeper into faith tonight? Last night I preached quite a while on faith, and tonight I want to go even deeper into faith. Is that okay? You say, well, why do you want to talk about faith again? Because uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six. Who wants to please God? Without faith, you can't please God. Come on. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says the only way you can be saved is through grace and have faith in that grace. So if you want to be saved, you need some faith. Come on. Acts 26, 18 says the only way you're sanctified is by faith. Come on, James 5, 16 says if you pray a prayer of faith, people will get well. So you get healed by faith, you get forgiven by faith, you get purified by faith. Come on, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're justified by faith. In fact, if you're a justified person, the only way you can live is by faith. So faith must be important. And I said last night, faith is hard to explain. That's why I chose that word too. Because to me, faith is living between the glories. But sometimes you need an encounter with the glory so you can sustain yourself in the two. If you don't have a reality of who this glory God is, then people grow weary in well-doing instead of growing faithful. We need to have encounters with his presence so that we don't grow weary in between the next encounter. Come on, you guys but we actually live the encounter. We need to live the encounter so that people that bump into our lives and hear our conversations and see our faith, they're drawn to that same God who gave us the encounter. Are you guys with me? I'm going to preach from two scriptures tonight. Romans 5, and then it won't be bad exegesis or hermeneutics, but I'm going to use James 1 to go along with Romans 5. And so if you would, would you turn to Romans 5 with me? And I want to go through this. Just to give you an update on Romans, in Romans 1, Paul kind of tells us how much in trouble all of us Gentiles are. He talks about how he gave a lot of them over and they went into all those sins of homosexuality and lesbianism and they reprobate mind and how there's no hope except the gospel. And then in chapter 2, he blasts the Jews with the same kind of indictment. And so he doesn't leave anybody unscathed that sin has condemned all of us. And then when you get to chapter 3, he pretty much says, uh, the wages of sin is death and all have sinned. Did you know that Paul likes to build cases? <laughs> he likes to let us know that we need the grace of God. And he, he's like, he, he just he, And then by the time you get to chapter 4, 5, and 6, he says you're justified by faith in God alone. And anyway, chapter 5 is where I want to start here. And so it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand 
and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Hmm. Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. I wish God had a different way. I mean that. I may ask him when I see him, but when I see him, I probably won't be able to get off the floor for a billion years, or I may change my mind. But I wish he had a different way besides tribulation that produces perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Therefore, what is the therefore in, 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 in conjunction to? It's, it's the last verse of chapter 4. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Aren't you glad Jesus came back from the dead so that all of us could be justified? Listen to this. What does justification mean? It's just as if we've never sinned. And Jesus came back from the dead so that we could stand before our Heavenly Father as if we've never sinned before. We don't have to pay for nothing. He paid for it. We don't get what we deserve. We get what he deserves. This is a big deal, you guys. So therefore, having been justified by faith, there's that faith word again, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it says we have peace with God. You have peace with God because of what Jesus did on Calvary. Every believer has peace with God because your sins have been wiped away and you can stand before him now with no condemnation because you have right standing with God. You have peace with God because of what Jesus did. But in verse 2, it says, by faith, we also enter into this grace where we can stand. Now, listen to this. Listen to this. That's not a peace with God. Now it goes into the peace of God. You have to go into a deeper grace. Every born-again believer has peace with God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every person has peace with God who has the blood of Jesus that's forgiven you of all your sins. Come on. Every person in the body of Christ has peace with God. But peace with God is between you and God. It's what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. But the peace of God is the work that only the Holy Spirit can do in those who stay obedient to the call of the cross. Come on, you guys. The peace of God is a work of the Holy Spirit. The peace with God is a work Jesus did on the cross. The peace of God huh, is something you have to experience through the trials and through the tribulations. And if you don't enter into that deeper grace, guys, when the testing comes... Instead of producing perseverance, character, and hope, it'll produce dismay and discouragement and depression. Because it's not enough for you to be okay with God and be in right standing with God if you're not okay with who God is and what he's allowing you to go through. You see, you've got to have a deeper trust to live in the peace of God than to live with the peace with God. Come on, are you guys with me here? Somebody ought to say amen. And so I want you to turn with me to James now. Go to James chapter 1. In light of this Romans chapter 5, go to James chapter 1, and I'll begin with verse 2. 
Consider it all joy, my brethren. (laughs) He's preaching here to the Christians, the Jewish Christians that have come to faith. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. <laughs> Isn't that your first reaction when various trials surround you? Do, do you just feel like it's time to have a joy party? Amen. You, you see, when you're operating in the peace of God, your circumstances don't change what you believe God is trying to do in and through you. When you're only operating with the peace with God, you think something's wrong because the circumstances change. You guys need to listen to this. We have expectations growing up. All of us have dreams and visions and desires that we want to obtain to. And when our life experience comes in short of what we were expecting, if we're not in the peace of God, this area that we're falling short of what we thought we would be like can cause us temptations to want to shrink back, to backslide, to lose our first love, and if we're not careful to lose all the way out, and we don't want to lose all the way out, we want to allow the circumstances to fuel fire so that we become more like God. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, there's that word faith again. I told you I was going to preach on faith. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Sounds like Romans 5. Maybe we only have one father, one faith, one family, one baptism. Maybe he does have just one family. There's no stepkids. And maybe his sheep do hear his voice. And maybe those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Hmm. Now check this out. Knowing... That the testing of your faith produces endurance. Did you know that endurance, hupomone, endurance, perseverance, is the number one needed quality in the church that's going to bring a third great awakening and a great revival in the midst of all hell and chaos that's breaking out on the planet? You guys hear me? The one thing needed is perseverance so that we don't grow weary with conflict and controversy and opposition and prevailing winds, but we grow faithful. The more we're we're crushed, the more we thrive. Come on, you guys. We need perseverance. You know how you get perseverance? The testing, the trials. That's how your perseverance grows. Knowing that these various trials... Test your faith and produce endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect. Who wants to be perfect? I'd like to be perfectly what he wants me to be. Who wants to be perfectly the way God wanted you to be when he formed you in in the dark places of your mother's womb? When he had these dreams about you and he wrote annals in the books about your life before one day even came to be. How many many of you would like to be perfectly living up to God's dream that he birthed you? Come on. Now check this out. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. Now something changes here. 
this is, this is weird, because I used to think that two through four and five through eight didn't belong together, but I'm going to tell you they do, because, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. But he must ask in faith without, there's that word faith again, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In James here, it says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. This word various, it means multiplicities of trials. It means different shapes of trials. It means you could have square trials and triangle trials and circle trials and rectangle trials and purple trials and yellow trials and green trials. It's like that's when we need to consider it joy because God allows you to get to the place where you have to totally trust him so that he can test your faith. Now, this word test here is an interesting word. It's the, it's the same word used that a goldsmith or a silversmith would use to test the metal it's trying to purify. The, the, the goal of a goldsmith or, or, or a coppersmith or a silversmith is that you heat up the heat hot enough that you keep removing the dross, and then you heat it up hotter and you keep removing the dross, and you heat it up hotter and you keep removing the dross. And the end result is when they would look in that big vat that, that finally got all the dross off, they could look into it and actually see their perfect reflection in what's been tested. God uses the trials that none of us like. Come on, some of us lose loved ones before their time. Some of us can't get ahead financially. Some of us had financial or some physical conditions. Some of us have discouragement in our careers or our ministries. God uses these things to heat up the necessity to trust him only and not get our eyes fixed on the circumstances. Come on, you guys. Why is he doing it? Because he's trying to purify and perfect our faith. There's no other way. He doesn't have a plan B. <laughs> this is not a popular message, but it's the truth of the gospel. This usually won't draw crowds, but it is the truth of the gospel. Come on, you guys. I remember the three Hebrew boys. I'm going to go off course here just for a minute, but the Lord just brought the three Hebrew boys to me. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I, I remember when they were standing before the king with the big ego that had the big tower in his image. They said, we don't even need to answer you on this, king. And they really didn't because they already had their minds made up. And their minds weren't made up based on the road less offensive or less harsh. Their minds were made up because they had their eyes fixed on this Jesus, this God that was the author and perfecter of their faith. Remember their statement? They said, we know our God is able... And he will deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. Remember that phrase? We know he's able because of what we've studied about him. And if you study the scriptures, you know God's able. Your knowledge will let you know that God is able to do everything that his word says. In fact, if you want to be a powerful intercessor, you ought to know the word. Is anybody here? If you want to be a powerful intercessor, God always wants to perform his word. 
If you knew his word, you could pray with confidence and boldness. And he can't wait to answer his word. That's why he put it down there for us. Come on, you guys. So, so knowledge says our God is able. Faith says, and he will. But if he doesn't, my surrender and my consecration says, I'm still not going to bow. So your knowledge says he's able, your faith says he will, but your your surrender and your consecration because you're not just in the peace with God. You have peace with whatever God does. And you see, now I'm messing with you. Because we, th- we always thought it was about us getting our blessing and our breakthrough. But it's really about God being glorified in the earth. Yeah. Come on, you guys. You need to hear what I'm saying. And, and so, and so, and so here's, here, here's the deal. What if the greatest glory God gets is us being satisfied with trusting him and we don't even know how the outcome is going to come? Obviously, the three Hebrew boys didn't get maybe what they were thinking. Maybe they thought they weren't even going to get thrown in there. But when they got thrown in, what happened? It didn't even make them smell like smoke. Because it wasn't about what they were facing. It was about the God who was with them, taking him with him to where he was headed. It wasn't, it's never about where you're at. In fact, Satan's not threatened by one person where they're at. What he is freaked out about is we'll stay in faith and peace with God so that God can get us to the place he's trying to get all of us, which is to grow up to the full measure and stature of who Jesus Christ was. Come on, you guys. So that's why he afflicts us, and that's why he taunts us, and that's why he accuses us, and that's why he lies. Because he doesn't want us to believe God's trying to grow us all up to a higher level of walking in the faith and the stature of Jesus Christ. Come on, you guys. Fourth guy shows up. They're walking around having a party. And the religion of a whole empire changes. Now listen to this. God's able. And so them knowing that God's able, as long as they have a faith in God, they can't lose. And then they said... God will deliver us. They had faith that he could deliver them. If he deliver them, they can't lose. But even if he doesn't, if they don't bow, they can't lose. The only way you can lose is if you bow to your circumstances. That's why you need more than the faith with God. You, you need more than peace with God. Come on, you guys. You have to have a deeper, deeper commitment. You have to have a deeper experience. And it's not about what you've done. It deals with who we are. God wants to change us at the depths of our spiritual DNA level. He, he actually wants to change us. Man. I, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm still digressing. But it's not a long rabbit trail. I'm thinking about when Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And Elizabeth was present, pregnant with John the Baptist. And Mary walked in the room, and as soon as she greeted Elizabeth, it says the baby in Elizabeth's belly leaped. Now, as far as I know, that John the Baptist would have been a little baby in amniotic fluid, unconscious. So the only thing that could have gotten that spirit would be his spirit in an unconscious mental state. And as far as I know, Jesus would have been a little baby in Mary's amniotic fluid, unconscious. So the unconscious Jesus and the unconscious John the Baptist, Jesus just being close to him, there was an impartation from the spirit of Jesus into the spirit of John. 
that sustained him his whole life until the end when his circumstances started messing with what he believed to be his reality. Come on, you guys. And so years later, 33 plus years later, he's in a cell waiting for his execution, and he sends word. Come on. His, the conscious John the Baptist sends word to the conscious Jesus. You see, our minds talk us out of what God's trying to do in us based on circumstances. But if we could ever get into the peace of God, we might be able to have our best rest in the worst storms. When everybody else is bailing water, we're, we're catching a cat nap. Come on, man. Because we trust God is going to get us to the other side regardless of what the enemy tries to blow up. Is Jesus the one we're shooting for? Are we all trying to be Christ-like? Is that why we're here on a holiday weekend on Saturday night? Are we trying to be Christ-like? So, 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 so here, here's, I thought about this today, and I, sometimes I get in trouble for saying this stuff, but I'm going to say it again. Is that okay? This, and I was talking to Michael before the service about this. Did, 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 do we do disservice to what faith is supposed to try to get us to grow up to by always saying the things that Jesus did was only because he was God? Here's my point. Did Jesus walk on the water as deity or as a pure human? I don't know. It's a mystery. Come on. The the word in flesh, incarnate, Emmanuel, that's a mystery to me. How he's fully God and fully man, but yet he, he gives up all the glory so he can rely on the Father for everything to say, everything to do, everything to preach, every person to pray for. So is he, is he, is he, is he, delinqu- has, he has he relinquished his right to be called equal with God so that he can show us what a pure human should have lived like before Adam had the wrong meal? Come on, did he walk on the water as a pure human or as God? Listen, did, did, he, did he calm the storm as God or as a p- pure human, uncontaminated? So I don't know. I don't know. Just those are the kind of things that I, I think about those things. Are you guys with me? Did, did he multiply food as God or a, p- a pure human? You see, this is what I, this is what I do know. In the beginning, God created man in his image. And he gave Adam authority and dominion over all creation. Now listen, if he has authority and dominion over all creation, could he have walked on water? Could he have multiplied food? Could he have walked through walls like Jesus did in John 20? Could, could he do things because he had dominion and authority over creation? See, I, I don't want us to shortchange what these trials are designed to do in our lives. The trials aren't there to beat you down, you guys. The wilderness experience is not there to make you get more tired. In fact, in Luke 4, if I'm not mistaken, the wilderness experience in Jesus' life was so he could come out of the wilderness empowered in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we think, well, man, why can't I get the financial breakthrough? Man, why can't I get my healing? Man, why can't my kids be on fire? Man, why can't my ministry grow? Man, why, why, why? And what if, instead of having the why, why what if we had an attitude? Whoa, God, you must really be trying to grow me up or I wouldn't be in this test. You see, you see the problem is we forget who's giving the test. Yeah. 
Now, if it was the devil giving the test, I wouldn't want to pass it. But I'm God's kid. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. I'm covered by the blood. I have warring angels around me. I'm his property. He bought me with his life. Are you kidding me? And so when I get a test, man, when, when I'm surrounded by how do I deal with that? How do I deal with that? How do I deal with that? Instead of wondering when do I get out of the test, what if I changed my whole attitude and I started rejoicing not for what I'm going through. It's not about what I'm going through. What if I started rejoicing because what that is doing in me? How else are we going to be tested so that we become pure? So we look in the mirrors, whoo, we look like God. The last verse of Psalm 17 says, if you'll stay in faith and you keep pursuing him, one day you'll look in the mirror and you'll be shocked because you'll no longer see you. You'll see the image of him. It's in 3 John. I mean, it's in 1 John 3, 2. It says, it has not yet been made clear what we, be, what we will be, but we know when he appears, we shall be like him. How does he make us like him? The trials, the tribulations, the struggles, the pains. Come on, you guys. Did I tell you I was going deeper in faith tonight? No, you guys haven't. I'll let you go. I'll be like Gideon now. Come on. If you're afraid to go deeper into the things that hurt, then now's your chance to leave. Nobody's going to judge you. Because what if the glory is always hinged on the fact that people are afraid to relinquish that last bit of control? What if John 3.30 is the key? I must decrease. We want the glory. We want the manifest presence to increase. We want the miracles to increase. Come on, we want, we want our families to fall under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit so nobody just takes God lightly. But what if, it's, what if he wants to come but he doesn't have a space to come because we still hold on to rights. <laughs> come on. You guys with me? Are we doing okay? So, so I know, listen to this, I know the reason why I want to rejoice, not because of what I'm going through. I, I don't rejoice for what I go through. I rejoice at the fact that God's got me in it because he's trying to take me to a new level of faith. He's trying to perfect my perseverance, my endurance. I mean, he's trying to do deep things. I, 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 can I take a little time on this before I go back to Romans? You guys care if I take a little time? Huh. In recent days, I've read books that pertain to some of my studies. And people say that sometimes that they think revivalism is hurting Christianity and seeking encounters is not productive. It's counterproductive because it sets people up for failure. But then I'm reminded, why do people in the Scriptures that did great exploits for God, why did they always have to have such a dramatic encounter with God? I mean, why did Isaiah, why did Isaiah have to see the Lord high and lifted up <laughs> and the train of his robe fill the temple and have seraphim throw and bring coals off the altar of God and purge his iniquity and set him up as the prophet of all prophets. Why, why did he have to have such an encounter if encounters aren't important? Because I think the glory is what sustains you in the two until the next encounter, you guys. Are you kidding me? Why did Jeremiah have to see a rod that started blossoming and then forming almonds and then God says, now you've seen well. 
See, what he was doing is he was a precursor to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. You see, I'm talking about faith tonight. And he saw by faith what God was going to do among the children of Israel. Are you with me? And when you see it, God has to perform his word. Come on, you guys. Why did Ezekiel have to see a wheel in a wheel? Why did God grab Ezekiel by the nap of the hair and pick him up in the spirit if encounters weren't important? Come on, why did Moses have to talk to a burning bush? I can just go right through the list, you guys. And I think God knows what we need to pass the test because he knows what's coming. And he knows how much of a of an impartation of grace that we need. He knows, you guys. God, God knows. He, he, he has every one of us. He's got a design plan for all of us. And, and there's perfect plans for each person in this room. And some of us have a calling that's this, and some of us have a calling that's that, and some of us have a calling that's there, and some of us have a calling that's there. And he knows exactly the structure, DNA, that you're going to require to be able to, sta- to, to stand the load that it's going to take to go through to get you to the level that God designed you for. All of us are his workmanship. All of us are his masterpiece. Every person in this room is his masterpiece. Are you guys happy? I'm preaching pretty good. You see, the problem is the reason why God has to give these huge encounters or a vision, if you will, is because as soon as the vision comes, it seems like the rest of your life is trying to overcome the contradictions to the vision. Why is it taking so long? And when we keep asking that question, come on, you guys, why? See, here's my question. You want to know what my question is? Why do I have to live so far, so long on the road against all my family, God? Why so long? Why, why do I have to do this 11 years? Why can't you work it out where I can be home half the time? Why, why, why? And it's, this is what I've come to learn. As long as I'm asking the question why, it's because he's trying to perfect the faith and the perseverance in me. Because when I get to the place where I don't have to ask the question why, I'll pass that test and he'll give me a new one. So maybe I ought to start rejoicing and praising him and thanking him that I'm being tested right now. Come on. I'm preaching good. You see, I can, I, I can rejoice and count it all joy when I'm surrounded by trials, when I know the one who's given me the test. You see, herein lies the real question. Do we really believe he's faithful enough to take us through whatever it takes to take us through so that we can become just like him in this lifetime? Do all of us in this room, come on, and I think you do or you wouldn't be here. Do all of us in this room really believe, listen to this, that he loves us enough to bring us through hell so that we can disperse heaven wherever we go? Come on, to bring us through pain so that we can release healing wherever we go. To bring us through darkness so we can release light wherever we go. To bring us through fear so that we can release hope. You see, we gotta pass the test. And if we're not in the peace of God, nobody's going to pass it. 
That's why I believe in the sanctifying power of the Spirit. And, and a lot, everybody believes in it, you guys. Everybody believes in it. But here's the, here's the reason why some theories of sanctification I don't agree with. Because if you never get in the sanctifying work, but it's always a process of trying to get into it, then how are you going to stand when the tribulations come? How are you ever going to have thanksgiving in your heart when the pain's hitting you? Come on. How are you ever going to rejoice unless you've actually been crucified with Christ and you no longer live? But Christ now lives in you. I'm preaching good. I'm going to go back to Romans. I've got to hurry up because I'm going to lay hands on people tonight. Can you go back to Romans with me? Let's go back to Romans. Isn't this good? You guys happy you came? I'm happy you came. I'm glad I got somebody to preach to. Praise God. Romans 5. Through whom, I'm going to start with verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Here's an interesting statistic. In American Christianity, if someone comes to faith in a typical evangelical church, one year from then, later, you can only find 6% of the people that are still Christians who got saved during that meeting. So what's going on that we call conversion is not getting into a grace where people can stand. If it's all process, if it's all journey, but there's no moments of crisis experience. You see, I, I believe that everybody was born sinners and they're lost and they need to actually be converted. I, I actually believe people need to be born again, like, like come from death to life. I, I believe that people need to be made brand new creations where the old is gone and the new has come. I believe we have to have an experience where we're made brand new. Are you with me? But, but here, here's the rub that all the theories now start getting differentiated. All the theories, like the reform theory is that once you're born again, sanctification begins. This purifying experience begins. But why do we have to wait our whole life for it to happen? If God can purify us when we take our last breath of air, why can't he purify us when we take our first breath of air? His power is not limited to, to a time frame on a time schedule. His power is limited for, by our faith to enter into this deeper grace where we can stand. What if we all believe tonight, if we haven't experienced the purifying, sanctifying work of the Spirit, what if we believe tonight it happened and we entered into it? Does that mean you're perfect? No, but it would mean you're perfectly willing to do everything that God wants you to do, and that's your passion and that's your desire. You no longer will be trying to learn, but never come to the knowledge of the truth that sets you free. You've actually experienced the knowledge. You participated in the knowledge, and now you're experiencing this freedom that's really the peace of God. Come on. Come on. The Keswickan theology believed that you could just get enough truth on top of your carnal nature that you could suppress it and keep it under wraps. What happens if it sneaks out at night? I don't think you can get enough on it. And, and so 
and, and then the reform theology, the Calvinist reform, and I love them. I got all kinds of thousands of friends, but what if instead of waiting till our last breath and we're made holy, why don't we just believe right now the same blood that could do it then could do it now, and we could enjoy a whole life not trying to avoid the trials, but rejoicing in the trials, celebrating the trials, counting it all joy in the trials, because we actually believe that we're going through the things that's making the glory for us. We can enter into this grace where we can stand and then we exult in hope of the glory of God. Michael prayed it before I got up that in John 17, Jesus prayed. It's in, in verse 17 is when he started to sanctify him in the truth. Your word is truth. He says, as you've sent me in the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself so that they too may be truly sanctified. Why would Jesus pray that for disciples unless it's what they really need? I think he only prays prayers that he knows we need. And then he said in verse 20, I don't just pray for these 11 disciples. I pray for everyone afar off all the way to Louisville, Kentucky in 2019 that will believe in me because of the New Testament. Come on. What is he praying? That all of us would be sanctified. I believe the sanctifying work of the Spirit is the grace that we can enter in by faith where we can stand. And I think so many people backslide and so many people give up and so many churches are shrinking and so much there's no influence in the body of Christ. Come on, you guys. Why? Because until you've entered into the deeper grace, come on, until you've died a deeper death and gotten into a place that when all hell hits you, it doesn't affect you because you know God is the one allowing it because he's making you more like him. You'll never have that attitude until you're no longer living, but Christ is living in you. Hmm. In which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory. Remember? Glory to glory. Now look at, look at verse 3. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. The connotation is here. They're coming. They're designed for you. God designed all your tribulations before one of your days came to be. Come on. The, the, the connotation, the implication is these are not something that you should be caught off guard with. I'm thinking about 1 Peter. I love 1 Peter. It's about, it's about suffering and never losing heart. Come on. It's about that no matter what hits you, you just keep coming back. And remember, remember when Peter says, don't consider the strange ordeal that you're going through this. This is happening to everybody all over the world. Come on. In fact, this is for your glory. This is for you to be glory. In fact, if you read, I want to I turn there. Can you turn to 1 Peter? This isn't even part of the message. But can you turn there? Somebody say Amen. I want you to turn to 1 Peter. It's right there at the end, after James. 1 Peter. Yeah, there it is. You ready for this? 1 Peter chapter 3, chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you, for your testing. Now that word comes, looks at, it, you know what the word comes means? It's not because something you did. 
You're not, this, this fiery ordeal, this tribulation, this trial, come on, this affliction, this thing that you don't want to go through, it didn't come on you because of something you did wrong. It's, it's something that God's allowed in your life. Come on, I'm preaching the truth, you guys. Come on, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. This is part of your course, man. You got to pass that test to get to a higher one. And then you have to pass. The only way righteousness is revealed is from glory to glory. How do you get to glory to glory to glory? You got to keep passing tests to test to test. Some of us are going around taking tests that God gave us 30 years ago. And we never pass it. If we could just pass it, then we could go to a greater glory. Things that used to bother me, it's like, I don't even hear them. Things that used to cripple me in fear. It's like, nothing. Why? I passed the test. Come on, if righteousness is only revealed from glory to glory, come on, First Romans 1.17, if the righteousness of God, if the godliness of God that dwells in all of us, or the image bearers of God, if it's only revealed by those who walk from faith to faith, which is glory to glory, come on. If we don't require greater faith today than we did a year ago, it's not glory to glory. It's not faith to faith. It's religious activities. It's religious rituals. It's traditions of man that deny the power of God. Let me finish reading this first, Peter. That comes upon you for your testing as though through some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Man, James, Peter, and Paul all sound the same. Come on, man. Look at this next verse. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who are... Blessed are those who are persecuted for being dirtbags. No. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Rejoice and be glad. For in the same way they treated the prophets who were before you. Now we're a company of prophets. Sons and daughters are supposed to hear God all the time and speak what he says. That's what all of us are supposed to. We're a royal priesthood, man. We're a kingdom of priests and kings unto God. We're supposed to be establishing his kingdom on the earth like it is in heaven. Come on, you guys. And we don't want trials. I love this verse 14. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Whoa. Whoa. You know, we always say, show us your glory. Come, show us your glory. We want your glory. Well, get reviled and persecuted for the name of Christ because then it'll rest on you. If you're the one who's getting persecuted because you're living so much like Jesus, the, the, the spirit of God's glory is actually resting on you. 
He doesn't rest on people that just want to sing songs that appeal to their carnal affections. He doesn't rest on people that just want their bless me club and their breakthrough and it's all about them. He rests on people that are willing to fearlessly face the trials, the fiery ordeals, the tribulations that are sent to test us so that we're refined and made pure like pure gold. Come on, you guys. Remember in Revelation when it says Jesus, the Son of Man, walked among the lampstands and he saw them and they were like pure you know what it means? His fire refines us to such a place that we're so pure that you can no longer even see which church it is. You just see the Christ that's in the church. He wants us to be transparent like pure gold, like it's like glass. It's like you can't even tell the gold's there. All you can see is what it contains. And all of us have this priceless treasure in these earthen vessels. And all the tests, the trials, the tribulations, the fiery ordeals, the pain, the suffering, what's it for? It's so that our vessels can become so pure that people no longer will see us, but they'll see this priceless gift that lives in all of us. Whoa, this is good preaching. <laughs> now I go back to Romans 5. I've been thinking about this all day. Not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations. You know what that word means? It means our pressures. The pressure, the pressing, the it's like the things that make us want to pop aspirins, uh, the things that, want us, that make us want to turn on a movie, the things that make us want to go outside and scream if nobody thinks we're nuts. It's the pressure. It's the pressing. Those are the things that we should rejoice in. You know, everybody, everybody listen to this. I, I've thought about this. Everybody wants to be powerful. Nobody wants to go through the pain to get there. Everybody wants to be great. Nobody wants to suffer. Check this out. Everybody wants to be heard. <laughs> nobody's willing to be broken so, nobody would, so anybody would want to listen to you. I thought about this, and, I, and I've taught this in some of my sermons. Remember when, remember when in John 6 that Jesus showed up with the, with, and the people were following him and he was trying to take a break because they were hungry and he felt bad, so he said, we need to feed them. And, and the disciples said, well, all, all we have is eight months' wages. It wouldn't even give everybody one little bite. And Jesus, Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew what he was going to do. And he said, well, what do you have? And they brought one kid's sack lunch, remember? One kid's, you know you're in trouble when the, when the disciples are stealing kid's sack lunches. You know it's not a good meeting, right? And he says, well, what do you have? And he says, I have, um, I have five loaves and just two fish, just seven pieces of food. And this, then it occurred to me, seven is rest. Seven is perfection. Seven represents completeness. Seven represents shalom. Instead of always striving to be like somebody else, come on, instead of always striving to get men's approval, instead of always trying to be able to address everybody and all they get is a little bite, what if we actually got to the place that in our inadequacy and in our vulnerability and our weakness, come on, we were at rest in our little seven? What could God do with your perfect contentment? Seven's perfection. All we got seven, perfect. And he blessed it, and he broke it. If you could ever get satisfied in the storm, in the trial, in the affliction, in the fire, 
If you could ever be at rest and trust God, that's when he could start breaking you. Because if you notice in all those stories of the 5,000, the 4,000, he never broke it until he first blessed it. So if you're going to go through a test, it's because God's already blessed you. In fact, I want to propose to you that if you're still here tonight, it's not because of your willpower. It's because of 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who's in you than he who's trying to take you out. Come on. In fact, God wouldn't have allowed you to go through anything you've been through unless he was trying to take you to a higher level of faith and perseverance and completeness and perfection. Come on, you guys. And so none of us are here because we're powerful. In fact, the only reason we're here is because we got restful enough to trust God to get us through. So he breaks it. And so I, I, I got to thinking about this because I, I remember I've struggled with things in my life like, you know, physical things from getting hit by a semi or financial stress from losing business or loneliness from, you know, I, I've struggled with things. I thought, okay, I don't want to go through that again. I want to get over that brokenness. And so here, here's, the, here's the thing that's in my mind today as I'm studying this living in between the stress of the waiting, the stress of the contradictions, the, the, the trials, but it's where faith lives. And this is what I'm thinking. If you break a person in two, one breaking will feed two. Well, I don't want to be broken anymore. Well, then you only touch two lives. Or let's say you get broke ten times, and they broke you five times. They break you into five pieces ten times. Now you touch 50 people. What if you took the hands off of your control and said, God, just break me. Just break me. What if he broke you into such brokenness that the whole world could be fed because you had such peace with God that you trusted him with every detail even when you didn't understand it whoa it's getting real quiet in here now you see everybody wants to be heard everybody wants to be powerful everybody wants to have influence come on everybody wants to be great nobody's standing in line to be broken and the more blessed you are the more broke ability you are he took it seven perfect rest shalom they're content and then he broke it and there's baskets left over after everybody's satisfied and what if that analogy about a sack lunch is about his people what if when he told them i give you the power of the spirit so you can go into all the world to the uttermost ends of the world but it took persecution and suffering to finally scatter them And what if tonight, instead of us fighting the tribulations and the pressure, what if tonight we embraced it and said, boy, God really must love me for me to have to go through this. I think I'm going to trust him even more. I wonder if that would make his day. What do you guys think? Come on, are you with me? I got to hurry up and finish, don't I? I got to hurry up. I preached long enough. I'm so sorry. It's a holiday weekend. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Come on. We exalt in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Remember I said the one thing needed most in the end time church is perseverance. And perseverance proven character. 
King James says experience there. But the experience changes your character. And to have proven character means it's proved through a test. Have you guys ever seen those commercials where they test those cars with those dummies? And they run into the wall. And like an Audi, because they're known for safe. And the dummies don't die. How do they know that Audi's safe? Because it's been proven through the test. It's been proven through the fire. Come on, it's been proven through the pain. Through the, it's been, and when we have perseverance, come on, that's been given to us because we're being stretched with a trial, the perseverance doesn't weary us. The perseverance proves us to where all of a sudden our gold gets shinier and the chaff gets less and less. And before long, Satan's got nothing on us. And we're walking around and our shadow will heal people and our countenance will convict people. And we won't even have to preach because our lives will become messages. I'm preaching really good. I stole the whole message out of the Bible. The whole thing. Proving character hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Every once in a while, God loves you enough that he has to allow things in your life because you're not walking like he sees you should be walking. Every once in a while, God has to allow things like a semi to hit you so that you can have a deeper encounter with holiness and power and grace. Every once in a while, God allows you to lose all your wealth so you find riches that this world can't understand. Come on. Every once in a while, God allows you to feel rejection and isolation so you can become a father of multitudes that you'll never meet. Every once in a while, God loves you enough to allow fire and controversy and trial and tribulation. Every once in a while, he loves you enough that he can't let you stay at the level you're at. And what I want to do tonight, I want Terry to shut that off, and I want him to play on the piano for me. But you know what I want to do tonight? I'm just crazy enough to believe that some of you are facing some of the hardest things you've ever faced in your life. I mean that. I believe that. I believe that you've got some kids maybe that are lost, or some grandkids that are lost, or a physical condition that you can't figure out, or a financial pressure that you're really struggling with, or a ministry deal, or I don't quite, whatever. I... I think people are facing things like they've never faced before. Thanks for listening to this week's message. The goal of River City Hope Church is to provide as many resources as we can for free. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to HopeForRiverCity.com. Again, that's Hope, the number four, RiverCity.com.